We began a series a couple of weeks ago that we're calling In the Spirit. In the Spirit. And if you would go to John, Gospel account of John, chapter 3, and we'll review just a little bit, and we will continue on. John 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say to you, talking to Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is where we get the phrase born again. And actually, the, uh, if you look up the words that are translated that, it's born from above. And here Jesus is talking about it's born of the Spirit. He said, uh, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Everybody say that out loud. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, why would it be necessary to say this? We need to distinguish between flesh and spirit. We need to distinguish between the two. In uh, the fourth chapter, you just look over the maybe the next page, 4 and 20, this is the account of the, uh, the Samaritan woman that Jesus talked to at the well. The woman is talking about worship and basically asking Jesus who's right, either the uh, Jewish people or the Samaritans. She said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say, talking about Jewish people, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So basically she asked him, who's right? And in one way he said, neither one. <laughs> Verse 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Talking about the old covenant, talking about the giving of the law and all these things. And it is. And the Messiah has come out of this. Verse 23, but the hour comes and now is. You know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, Jesus didn't preach grace. He was still preaching to people under the law. That's not true. He didn't preach law. He didn't teach law. This is not law. If he was teaching law, he would have referred them to the Old Testament and the places and the ways to worship God with the offerings and sacrifices, etc. No, he's introducing the new covenant. And if you look at places like Matthew 5, he is definitely not teaching and preaching law. He said, it is written such and such, but I say to you, that's not teaching the law. I'm just, I'm just saying in different words, the words of Jesus 
are for you. Right now. Honor them greatly. Listen to them. Feed on them. Do not relegate them to someone else. And some other time. He said the hour comes and now is. When the true worshipers. If you got true worshipers. What other kind would you have? Not true. False. Phony. Fake. There is fake religion. There is fake worship. There is fake prayer. There is fake faith. The scripture talks about unfeigned faith in Timothy. Well, feign means pretend. Unfeigned would be not pretend. We need to be aware that one of the main ways the enemy works is to substitute phony for real. The enemy of our soul, this is one of the main things he does. The scripture tells us in Corinthians that he transforms himself into an angel of light. The devil does. And so does his ministers. So the devil is never going to come to you as the devil. If you're looking for some red being with horns and a pitchfork and a tail, you're never going to see that. He's going to come to you like he's an angel, like he's sent from God. He's going to tell you lies and say God said it. Now, I know people don't like that, but this is reality. This is how it is. He is the greatest actor there has ever been and the biggest liar there has ever been. He's the father of lies. So he's not a creator of anything good. So what he does is he he copies, he imitates and perverts good things into twisted, phony versions of the real. But thank God the scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices. In uh, verse 23, uh, the hours come now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. Seeks what to worship him? Why would he seek that? I think he's been fed up with the phony junk. (laughs) And he's looking for, and he wants some true, real worshipers. I I don't have to say think, I know. He has been fed up with religious junk, man-made tradition and worship that there's no spirit in it. It's just empty and dead and flesh. He didn't want that. I don't care how beautiful your facility is, how big a word you use, how many years you went to school. 
You're not going to impress him with some big show. What's he looking for? True. True. And, and what, what, what's a big part of the true? The hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship him how? In spirit as opposed to the flesh. And in truth. Truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. Verse 24. God is a spirit. He's not flesh. Now Jesus has a flesh and bone body now. Because he became a man. And has been raised from the dead. But the Father is not flesh. And the Holy Spirit is not flesh. But there is a man. At the right hand. Of majesty on high. Oh somebody say glory to God. You know somebody. In high places. There's a man. The man. Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh thank God. Thank God. He calls you brother. When he was raised from the dead, you know, one of the first people that saw him, he said, I'm going to my father and your father and my God and your God. Oh, my. Because of what he did, I can, you can call the father, father, just like Jesus does. He's not just our God. He's our daddy. Daddy. (laughs) Somebody say daddy. Daddy. Talk about big daddy. (laughs) He is the biggest. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Sometimes on the the, uh, playground, kids get into, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. My, My daddy can whoop your daddy. Well, our daddy actually can whoop everybody. We got the biggest daddy there's ever been, and he's the best. He's the biggest. He's the best. Hallelujah. That's a sermon that would preach, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> I actually preached a, a message, didn't teach it. I preached it to a bunch of guys one time who were in a rehab center, and, and uh, they'd come through a bunch of rough stuff. And this was the title, Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> Because a lot of them hadn't had a daddy. But if you're born again, you got one now. I said, you got one now. No need for you to cry and feel sorry for yourself. Because you got the best daddy there's ever been. And you got a daddy who will never leave you. Never forsake you. Do you believe it, friends? Don't cry and feel sorry for yourself about the past. Look forward. Look to the future. Somebody say, I have a daddy. I have the daddy. The daddy. The biggest daddy. The best daddy. Woo. Make you want to preach. Make you want to. Make you want to preach. (laughs) Go to the sixth chapter please. John 6. John 6 and 63. Jesus said this. It is the spirit. That quickens. The flesh. Profits Nothing. Now, he didn't even say it profits not too much. (laughs) 
It profits what? Nada. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you, they're not flesh words. They're spirit words. And they are life. Oh, hallelujah. This is such a big revelation on identifying flesh from spirit. Flesh is dead. I know this may, you may not like to hear this, but our, our bodies are not alive like our spirits are. Our bodies actually have been completely affected by death and are in the process of dying. I know that don't make you want to shout and run around, but uh, it's the truth. And everything down here is dying. Because of man's sin and the devil's work, death has permeated God's creation. You know, we look at all the, some of the beautiful things in nature and, and marvel at them because even in its fallen condition, there's still so much grandeur and beauty. But the truth is, It's nothing like it was originally created. We're going to really see something later. Everything down here, there's the cycle of birth and death. Birth and death. And everything around you that has come into being is headed toward dying. Plants, animals, everything. So the earth is filled with death. Death has passed upon all men for that all men have sinned, come short of the glory of God. But inside the born again man or woman is not so. The, though the outward man perishes and decays, 2 Corinthians says, the inward man is renewed day by day. You may have been born again 40 years ago. As far as aging toward decay, you haven't aged a day since you were born again. You should be developing. You should be growing up. But you will never grow old in your spirit. People act old because they think old. And your body, you keep living, your body is going to get old. But you don't have to be old in your spirit. You're not old in your spirit, and you don't have to be old in your mind. You think old, you'll talk old, you'll act old, and you'll feel old. (laughs) You'll drag around, right? (laughs) No. No. The inward man is what? Renewed day by day. You should be getting stronger on the inside, smarter, wiser, right? On the inside. And soon and very soon, the Lord's going to fix your body 
so it can keep up with your spirit. Did you read in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says we're going to all be changed in a moment? In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. Somebody said, I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be changed. Well, you've already been changed on the inside. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things became new. You're a new creation in Christ, but your body's going to be changed. Oh, do you believe it, saints? Do you believe it? There's coming a day, not too long from now, your body's going to be changed and this mortal will become immortal. And this corruptible body will become incorruptible. Incorruptible means it's no longer subject to being weakened or decaying in any way. Immortal means it is no longer subject to dying. You're going to look good too. (laughs) You can make it a few days. Till you finish up your course, run your race, don't be in a hurry. To, you know, you want to make sure you do what you were put down here to do. Do your job, finish your job, finish your course, finish your race. It's going, it's going to pass quickly anyway. If you live to be 105, 110, 120, it's going, you're going to look up and it's going to be time to go. This thing is passing by so quickly. But there's a giant difference between the flesh And the spirit. The spirit can be quickened and full of life. And the flesh can feel like 40 miles of muddy road. The flesh can feel low and old and draggy and weak and tired because everything around you is that way. Everything around us is decaying and dying. That's when you need quickening. The inner man can and does affect the outer man. You can be quickened so much inside that it affects your flesh. You can even be healed this way. In uh, John 6.63, read it again. Jesus said, it's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we're talking about discerning and distinguishing that which is spirit from that which is flesh. This is one of the best identifiers I know of. That which is the spirit is quickening, life-giving, reviving. That which is the flesh is dulling and deadening. If something is done in the flesh, there's no quickening. There's no reviving. There's no life to it. It's just flat and dead and dull and wearying. And the more you do it in the flesh, the more weary you get. I see people shaking their heads all over. I know you know. We have done entirely too much stuff just in the flesh. Without, apart from the directing of the Spirit and the quickening of the Spirit. But when we do things the way the Spirit directs, 
If it's in the spirit, the spirit's in it. What spirit? The spirit of life. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And when you're doing things with him and in him, even if your flesh feels tired, your spirit's going to be quickened. And you get enough of that, it's going to affect your body too. And your mind too. You know, a lot of times people think church is no fun. That's just because you're not doing it right. People think praying's no fun. That's because you're not doing it right. People think reading your Bible is no fun. It's drudgery. That's just because you're doing it just in the flesh. When you do it in the spirit, it's a whole other thing. There's quickening. There's reviving. There's life. Oh, hallelujah. You know, some people bless their hearts. It's just, it's just ignorance. But they are enamored and infatuated with death. I like motorcycles. Always have. I mean, from the time, I mean, when I was 13, uh, some of my friends had pictures of movie stars on their uh, bedroom wall. I had a picture of a motorcycle. There was this guy riding this new bike and his hair was in the wind. I thought, that's it. That's it. Right there. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I like American motorcycles and, and I like Harleys and Indians, that kind of thing. And, but a lot of guys, they want to paint skulls on everything. And some of the clothes, I was looking at a jacket the other day and I really liked it. And something I found on the shoulder had a big skull on it. I thought, I'm not wearing that skull. Why? What does the skull represent? Death. Skull. Crossbones. People are into, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to call any names, but they're into death. And talking about death and darkness and they get tattoos that represent it. And why? You are, as a born again Christian, you are not a child of death. You are not a child of the darkness. You're a child of the light. And you're a child of resurrection. And a child of life. There's a reason why this is not popular in the world. Death and cursing and and skulls and all that is popular in the world. Why? Because of the God of this world. Why isn't resurrection popular? Why isn't life popular? Because that's not what the God of this world wants to do. That's not what he's pushing. He has no life to give. Hallelujah. Read it one more time. John 6.63. It's the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus said the words I speak unto you. They are spirit. And they are life. How many believe Jesus preached no dead sermons? Not a one. Never. I mean, you know, the the twelve and others were with him for three plus years, day and night. How how many think never did they come home after a meeting and service and, and John look at Peter or some of them and say, Well, that was a dud. I mean, you know, he usually does pretty good, but that was uh, <laughs> No. No, his words were. And always are. Life. 
their spirit and their life. And even when you don't realize it, they're putting something into you. Quickening you. Illuminating you. Enlightening you. Strengthening you. Hallelujah. So how many have a desire for your own words to be more and more that way? Let's get away from a bunch of dull, dead stuff. The Bible said in Ephesians, don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up. There's a whole lot of stuff you can say to people, your friends and family and everybody else. It may be something that's going on. It may be a fact, but it's not edifying. And if you bring it up, they might have just got their mind off of it. A bad thing I'm talking about. And then you bring it back up and they're fighting depression or anxiety or whatever it is. We need to not just say everything that crosses our mind. Because words that are just spoken randomly and in the flesh are dead and deadening and dulling. Can you see this? Even though it may be glaring that this is going on, we need to look for words that are going to minister peace. Look for words that are going to minister life. And usually there's way too many people talking the problem already. The Lord needs somebody like you to come in and say something else. Don't talk about the problem. Talk about the answer. Don't talk about how bad it is. Talk about how easy it is for God to change the situation. How quickly we can come out. Talk about how he brought you out and brought other people out. Right? Get encouraged. Get built up. God will give you words that are his words. That instead of pulling down and dragging down and discouraging and hindering. They'll actually quicken and lift up. This, uh, I just thank God continuously that I have the privilege of handling his holy words. Amen. That I have the privilege and the honor, the opportunity for being under his anointing. They're, they're both publicly and uh, privately. It happens all the time. I don't claim that I've done it all perfectly all the time. But, but just on a regular basis, there'll be something come up and, and I'm looking for those words. I'm looking from him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's all kind of stuff you can say, but is it going to help or is it going to hurt? Is it going to make any difference or make no difference? Just be dead, empty flesh stuff. And again and again, God's so faithful, he'll give me something to say. Hallelujah. He'll give me an example or he'll give me a testimony or give me a verse or a truth of some kind. And it is so wonderful to begin to say it. And a lot of times when it's from the Lord, it's life. And when you bring it up, immediately you see people, the light of people's eyes begin to brighten up. They begin to straighten up a little bit. They begin to unfold like a flower, hallelujah, to the light or to the rain. And that is a joy. Not only is that for preachers, that's for every believer, that's for every child of God, that's for you and your family, that's for you and your spouse, you and your friends. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Said out loud, I speak words of life, not death, words of quickening, not dulling. I speak, I speak words, of words of peace, 
Words of grace. Words of rest. And restoration. The Spirit of God in me. Gives them to me. And I speak them. Hallelujah. You're a life speaker. Not a death speaker. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Go please to uh, Romans 12. I mentioned last time we spoke on this that I am making references to Brother Kenneth Hagin Sr.'s book in this series. His book entitled Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. If you don't know about this book, I encourage you. You don't hear me say this all the time. But I encourage you to check it out. Go to Kenneth Hagin Ministries and, and their ministry and, and, and get it and, and um, feed on it. it. He describes in the book a visitation from the head of the church and tremendous revelation along this line. And Phyllis and I had the privilege of working and helping, assisting Brother Hagin Sr. and, and Miss Aretha for over 20 years. And um, we were, had the opportunity to observe them very closely on a daily basis for years. And um, I believe, if he said the Lord appeared to him, I believe it. I've seen, I've seen the fruit. I've seen the results. And you just need to judge it, first of all, by the Word of God. And secondly, by what you get in your spirit. But if the head of the church did appear to him and tell him these things, and they are from the word of God, then we need to not ignore them. Right. He said that the, uh, this was a few days before their annual camp meeting that was held and still held every year. At that time, it was held downtown Tulsa at the convention center. And uh, he was awakened in the nighttime, he said, and got to praying. And as he got to pray, and he prayed for some length of time, I guess hours, and he said all at once, he was, uh, what it was, two or three days in the future with the Lord standing in the convention center at the top of it, looking down on the people. And the Lord talked to him about a number of things. Now we see this in the New Testament. Did Jesus appear to Paul and others? Did numerous times. This happens. It doesn't happen for everybody all the time. You could go your whole life and never have Jesus appear to you. Wouldn't mean you're unspiritual. He does these things for specific reasons. And this was for the body, not just for this believer, Brother Hagin. And uh, one of the things, I'm going to read some exact uh, uh, quotes about this. He said, as he and, and the Master Jesus were up in the top of the convention center looking down on a service that hadn't happened yet. Time with him is not how we think. He knows the end from the beginning. And uh, when the Lord let me go see my dad after he died, he allowed me to see him. And one of the things that puzzled me the most when that experience was over, is time. I talked to my dad 
about things that haven't happened yet. And when the experience was over, I couldn't remember what they were. For one reason, they haven't happened yet. (laughs) But I talked to him about things that haven't happened yet as though they had already happened. I'm still scratching my head over this. But when you're with him, I'm, I'm sure you're experiencing time as he does. And he said, he's the one who was and is and is to come. How can you be all that at the same time? We're going to find out. <laughs> but anyway, Brother Hagin said he was with the Lord two or three days in the future that hadn't happened yet. And he's seeing a service that hadn't happened yet. And when it did happen, he said it, it, it happened just the way he saw it. <laughs> Does the Lord know the end from the beginning? Yes. I know it's amazing, but he, he is amazing. And uh, he said... I'm going to read this to you. He said, as Jesus and I were standing above the crowd, Brother Hagin wrote it down. He said, as Jesus and I were standing above the crowd talking, he said to me, in this charismatic move, Christians have brought the brass of the world into the temple of the Lord as a substitute for pure gold. Therefore, I can only bless my people so far because they've substituted brass for gold. They've brought the clapping and the dancing of the world into the temple. He mentioned two specific things, clapping and dancing. Jesus continued, he said, when you come into the New Testament, you find that all praise and worship is to be done in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Does that line up with the Scriptures? What we've just read. The Father seeks such. They that worship Him must, must worship Him. How? How? In In Spirit and in truth. In Spirit and in truth. Now, this phrase... They've brought the brass of the world into the temple of the Lord as a substitute for pure gold is a reference to Scripture. Go with me to 1 Kings 6. We'll look at it. If the head of the church really said this, I believe he did, we should take it seriously. We should seek to understand what he's talking about. 1 Kings 6 And verse 20 describes the building of the temple. Now the temple is a type of the church. In those days the house of God was constructed by a plan from heaven by anointed people out of the best materials you could get. And then they put the ark of the presence inside there in the Holy of Holies and the presence of God was in the temple. But when Jesus went to the cross and judgment fell on him, the veil that separated 
the holy of holies from everybody else, the common, was torn in two. Hallelujah. Thus signifying that now access is available to all who come by the blood of the Lamb. And now, instead of the Lord dwelling in temples made with men's hands, the temple of God is constructed of living stones of which you are one and I am one. Hallelujah. And this living temple is indwelled by his living spirit. Nothing dead about it. Nothing dead about it. But we can learn so many things by looking at this type of the living temple today. Because all these things that happened in the Old Testament, don't neglect your Old Testament. All these things are beautiful and detailed types of the spiritual. There are ways of understanding the spiritual. It goes on to say here in in constructing the temple, the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in the height thereof. Did you notice they didn't just do it just any way that everybody thought? They didn't vote on what people thought how you ought to do it. They got to plan from above. And he overlaid it with pure gold. Everybody say pure gold. And so covered the altar, which was of cedar. So he overlaid the house within with what? Pure gold. He made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle, and he overlaid it with what? Gold. Keep reading. The whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. So the whole altar that was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. Everybody say gold. Gold. A lot of folks would have walked in there and go, this is too gaudy. This is too, ah, this just makes me sick. This could have been given to the poor. Mm Mm-hmm. With, if you look at what it costs to build this, billions. You can add it up. What David saved up and gave and what the elders gave you can add up billions what this house cost. Now I guess if the most important thing with the Lord was saving money, he'd have told them to do it a different way. Could he have told them to do it a different way? This is how he told them to do this. Say it out loud. All this gold was God's idea. He's the one said, do it this way. Gold, 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 gold. Within the oracle he made two cherubims of olive tree each, ten cubits high. Keep going for the next several verses. Five cubits, uh, the wing of one cherub. Five cubits, the wing of the other cherub. Notice, not inches. <laughs> cubits. <laughs> and uh, from the uttermost part of the one wing to the uttermost part of the other was ten cubits. That's a cubits, what, about 18 inches, I think. And the other cherub was 10 cubits. Both the cherubims were of one measure and one size. Symmetrical. Phyllis likes symmetrical. And the height of the one cherub, 10 cubits, and it was of the other cherub. 
And he set the cherubs within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubims, so that the wing of the one touched the one wall, the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the midst of the house. Perfection. And he overlaid the cherubims with gold. Gold. Must say gold. Is this a lot of gold or is this a lot of gold? He's not done. He carved all the walls of the house. Round about carved figures of cherubims and palm trees. And opened flowers within and without. A lot of things we're going to see in heaven. Uh, You've seen some of it on the earth. God's taste is in the earth. He made this. And I believe we'll see some things we hadn't seen either. And the floor of the house. Surely not the floor. Not the floor. (laughs) He overlaid with what? Gold. Gold floor? Gold floor? Within and without. That's a whole lot of gold. For the entering of the oracle he made doors of olive tree, lintel and side posts, a fifth part of the wall. Two doors were of olive tree, he carved the carvings of cherubims, palm trees, open flowers, and he overlaid them with what? Gold. Gold, and he spread gold on the cherubims and on the palm trees. Gold, 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 gold. (laughs) Somebody say gold. Skip to the seventh chapter, verse 48. 1 Kings 7, 48. Solomon made all the vessels. Now that was the structure. Now here's the furnishings. Wonder what we're going to make them out of. Solomon made all the vessels that pertain to the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, whereon the showbread was. Keep going. Verse, next verse. And the candlesticks. What do we make them out of? Pure gold. Five on the right side, five on the left, before the oracle, the flowers, the lamps, and the tongs. What do you make your, uh, your grill utensils with? You want to make them out of gold too. Gold, gold, gold. What do I make the shovel to get the coals out? Gold. God said, I want a gold shovel. I want gold tongs. I want a gold altar. I want gold candlesticks. I want a gold floor. I want gold. <laughs> and then some people get mad because you got a little gold thing around your finger. A little gold thing in your pocket or whatever. Ah, have you looked at the book of Revelation? One time you see the master, he's got a band of gold that comes across his chest. So if you've got a problem with gold, you better get over it. God likes gold. He made gold. He likes gold. God has been lied on. He's been misrepresented by religious people who don't know him. He's been portrayed as being ways he is not. One thing we know about him? (laughs) We're talking about Big Daddy. (laughs) Right? Big Daddy likes gold. (laughs) <laughs> and the bowls, and the snuffers, and the bassons, and the spoons, spoons? What do you make them out of? And the censers, pure gold. And the hinges, not the hinges. The door hinges, gold. 
for both doors of the inner house, most holy place, for the doors of the house, to wit of the temple. Glory to God. So was ended all the work that the king Solomon made for the house of the Lord. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels. He put them among the treasures of the house of the Lord. So the house was built out of gold and all the stuff that was in the house was made out of pure gold. They'd all sit on a pure gold floor, gold doors, gold hinges, gold, gold, gold. And when it says pure gold, he's talking about not gold you'd find everywhere. A gold that was refined beyond normal gold that that people traded. Pure gold. Now skip to the 14th chapter and you'll see what the Lord was referring to talking to Brother Hagin that, that night. In the 14th chapter, after the temple had been built, after all these things were made out of gold, after all the vessels and articles were made of gold and put in there, in the 14th chapter, in the 21st verse, 1 Kings 14:21, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. This is only a couple of generations from what we read. Rehoboam was 40 in one years when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. Keep going. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they built them high places and images and groves under every high hill, under every green tree. These were places where they worshipped false gods. Gods other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There were also Sodomites in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now I want to draw your attention to this. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to do like the other people were doing. And God has never intended that his people be the same as the people of the world. We're supposed to be different. Very different from the people of the world. He warned them prior to this. He warned them through his prophets. He warned them in the giving of the law not to go after the gods of other nations. Not to do what they do and practice what they practice. If they did, it would destroy them. Well, they did it. Here they are. Verse 25. It came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. That's not long. Five years. Shishak, king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem. They were attacked by Egypt. And what did he do? What did he do? People had heard about all that gold. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. He took away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead, what? Brazen or brass shields. And committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard, which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Why? 
Why would you take them out every time you went? Brass, especially from a distance, looks like gold. And if you don't want people looking at it too close, you take it out. And when you come back in, you put it back in. (laughs) They replaced the gold with brass. Did God say he wanted stuff made out of brass? No. No. He wanted it made out of gold. Go with me, please, to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. Now, what Brother Hagin said that the Lord told him, I'm going to read it to you again. He said, Jesus said to him, the Master said to him, as they were standing above the crowd, looking at the service, the people were clapping. And he said, the Lord said, in this charismatic move, Christians have brought the brass of the world into the temple of the Lord as a substitute for pure gold. They've brought the clapping and the dancing of the world into the temple. I'm going to read some other phrases that he said. He said, the Lord said this to him in continuing. He said, clapping is neither praise nor worship. Now there's a lot of people would disagree with that today, wouldn't they? They'd say clapping is pray. Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's praise him. Well, either the Lord said that or he didn't. (laughs) Clapping is neither praise nor worship. To clap is to applaud. And he said, the world claps, Jesus said to me, saints praise. You could go by a a bar or a club or a game and see and hear people clapping tonight. You won't see them lifting up their hands, right, and praising and worshiping. That's the world versus the church. That's the flesh versus the spirit. Do we need to talk about these things? If the head of the church said this. Now if you weren't with us. Last time we talked about this. We went through a number of scriptures on clapping. There's really only one verse. One. In the entire Bible. That says anything about clapping the hands. In any connection that could be interpreted as praise. And it says Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. But not all clapping is applause. And if the Lord said clapping is not praise, then it's not. This psalm is addressed to the musician, and there is clapping in a song. Are you all with me? Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Is that applause? Is that praise? Well, the Lord said it wasn't. Brother Hagin gave a good example after this experience that I thought it was good. He said, 
there could be a case of a little boy on Christmas Day whose father gives him the present that he's been wanting all year. And he opens the present, and there it is, and he's ecstatic with joy, and he's clapping his hand going, yay, yay, yay. Is he praising his father? No. He's expressing his excitement. He's expressing his joy. But that's not the same as praising his father. There's not, he said the Lord told him, and I'm quoting, there's not one scripture in the new covenant about clapping. There is scripture about lifting up holy hands. Well, if a man or a woman did something that we approve of, should we go, I praise you, I worship you? Uh -uh, That's too much. I said, that's too much for a man or a woman. If that's too much for a man or a woman, then this is not enough for our Lord and our God. Can you see this? But why would the Lord bring it up? Why would it even be an issue? Because it's a replacement. It's in the way of the real. If you're doing this, there's something you're not doing. It's brass taking the place of of gold. If you're doing this, you're not doing this. It's a shallow, fleshy thing. When God's looking for a real spirit thing. Jesus said to me, he said, the world claps. Saints praise. Saints praise. Uh, Brother Hagin talked about, he said, you'll see times where maybe there's a message given in tongues, an interpretation, or a prophecy, or there is ministry in the gifts of the Spirit, and right in the middle of it, people start clapping, and you can't hear the prophecy anymore. Well, if the Spirit is inspiring the clapping, he's interrupting himself. That can't be right. Interrupting what the Spirit of God is saying with clapping and applause is irreverent. It's disrespectful. Now we can clap for people. Somebody says, give brother so-and-so a hand. You can do that. Nothing wrong with that. If you want to clap for something, that show your approval. But how many can see it's not enough to call it praise, to call it worship, that which ought to be attributed to God, given to him? Do you want the real? Then we got to get the phony out of the way because it's taking the place of the real. I've seen it many times. The Spirit of God would begin to move. I've seen sometimes 5,000 people start clapping and you think, oh man, it gets in the way. It's just a bunch of flesh stuff. When what if everybody had done this and really started worshiping 
And really, if there was praise, it's, it's coming out of their mouth, from their heart, no phoniness, no junk, a deeper level of respect. Can you see this? There would have immediately been a stronger move of the Spirit. That's how it works. There's too much lightness. There's too much flesh. Anybody want to learn about this? Say it out loud. Father God, God, open my eyes. eyes. Show me me. what is flesh, what is is spirit, what What pleases you, what What doesn't please you. you. I ask it in Jesus' name. name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you willing to be instructed? Are you willing to be corrected? Me too. Amen. Me too. Now let's talk some more about this. In Romans 12, are you there? Verse 1 and 2. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Other translations say worship instead of service. And what? Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Brother Hagin said the Lord told him, my people have brought in the brass of the world and they've, they've substituted it instead of the gold. The brass of the world. We should not look To the ungodly and the unsaved for how to do things. Amen. Should we? We should not. Let me read some other translations of this. Today's English version says, Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world. The NIV says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The new century says, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Weymouth says, don't follow the customs of this present age. Listen to the message. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed. From the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you. Always dragging you down. To its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. Develops well formed maturity. In you. The world's way. Should not be our way. The master also mentioned dancing. There's dancing in the flesh, and there's dancing in the spirit. And I've heard people say, we need to bring the arts into the church. Do we? The arts that people are talking about, where were they developed? In the world. Bringing the arts. So... You see choreographed dancing. 
And you see any number of things. This is not dancing in the spirit. This is dancing in the flesh. And some of the the tight, skimpy outfits that some of the dancers wear, I assure you, a lot of the men in the congregation are not in the spirit. (laughs) Watching. (laughs) Can we talk real? Can we? I know that there's a lot of folks that do this, but everything we do, we need to examine it and ask ourselves, where did we get this? Did we get it from the Word? Did we get it from God? Is this His way? Or did we take this from the world and put a couple of scriptures on it? You know, there's places, a lot of places, that the moment you begin to try to praise God, turn all the lights off. Why? Where did this come from? This is how they do it in a worldly concert. <laughs> is it? And a number of folks use smoke machines. Well, there are instances when the glory of God came in and looked like smoke and the cloud came in. This is as clear an example as you can get of a, of a worldly brass. I don't want a smoke machine. I want the glory of God. And people say, what's wrong with the smoke machine? It can be a substitute. For the real thing. I got nobody in mind. I'm not against anybody. I'm full time job. Taking care of myself. But I've had to decide. And Phyllis and I have had to decide. Which way we're going to lead the churches. Right. And what we're going to do. And. we're, We're cautioned. Not to be led away. By every wind of doctrine and not by every fashionable wave of thing. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, so many of these things, if you look at the world, it's just like what they do. That's just how they do it. We should be different. How many would agree with that at least? We should be different from the world and how many would agree you're not going to reach the world with the world's ways they already got that you're trying to be like them why do they want to be like you we should be different Ministry's not supposed to be entertainment it's something much higher much deeper, much greater. And although I said, you know, we can give each other a hand on things, I don't think it's appropriate if somebody's doing something by the anointing. Let's say you, there's a singer or a player, and they sing a song, and it's really worshiping God, and the anointing is strong. When they finish, I do not believe it's appropriate to clap. Yes, sir. 
for them because you want to acknowledge there's something more than them going on here. The Holy Spirit was on that. The anointing was on that. So it's time to lift your hands. Is that right? And you're not lifting your hands to the man or woman that did it. You're lifting your hands to the God who anointed them to sing like that, play like that, preach like that. Come on, y'all listening to me. You take your eyes off the man, off the woman, and glorify the God who brought the anointing. Hallelujah. I don't believe this is trivial stuff. It's not about just being technical about what you do or you don't. This is key. I've seen it. I've experienced it to a greater move of the Holy Spirit. I've seen it. I've experienced it. The moment you start showing him more respect... You get rid of the world's substitutes and do the real thing. You'll sense the presence of God immediately come up stronger. Are you hungry for this, saints? Hallelujah. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Everything we do, we need to examine it. I'm not talking about us judging anybody else or any other church. I'm talking about us judging ourselves. Everything we do, let's look at it. Let's ask ourselves the question, where did I get that? When did I start doing that? Who did I see do that? And where did it come from? I don't want to take some brass thing that's a substitute for pure gold. (laughs) I don't want to substitute some fleshy, empty entertainment intellectual thing for the real move of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah for illumination and revelation and miracles. No, no, no. Let the world keep their junk. We don't need their junk. We don't need their ways of doing stuff. We don't, we shouldn't go to the world to learn how to do ministry or how to do church or how to do anything. And I'll say something else. (laughs) We should not look to Jewish customs or to Old Testament ways of worship because they worshiped in the flesh. We're supposed to be provoking non-believing Jewish people to be like us. If they see us wanting to do everything like them and trying to pattern after them, no. Jesus said people worshiped in the flesh, in the old covenant. New Testament believers are to do so in the spirit. In the spirit, there's quickening. In the spirit, there's life. You can tell, you can tell when it's some kind of old dead form of stuff. Takes people too long to get ready to do it. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, okay, come on, come on. And then when they do it, it's like, okay. And if you look around, if everybody thinks this is great, and everybody's trying to convince each other, yeah, this is something, this is good, this is good. But it's dead. It's dull. It's empty. But if that's all you're ever around... And that's the way it is in the world. People can think, well, this is it. No, there's something more. There's something much more. It is the very real anointing. 
of the Holy One. And it'll quicken you. And you talk about a buzz. You talk about a high. I'm telling you the real thing. Once you've had some real, you got no time for the other stuff. You just, you're like, no, thank you. None for me. I want some more real. Oh, there's nothing, nothing like the Holy Spirit moving and manifesting in you and on you and around. Oh, there's nothing, nothing even compares. The world's got none of this. Jesus even said about his peace. He said, my peace. I give Not like the world gives you. You can't find this in the world. There is no religion. None where you can find real peace. I don't care what they say. If they have it, Jesus lied. And he didn't. <laughs> you can't find it in the world. We don't need to go to the world. We've got what the world needs. We found, every believer has found what the world is so desperate and hungry for. They keep trying all this different stuff and it'll never satisfy. You go from one thing, one to the next, to the next, to the next, and there'll always be a new fad and there'll always be a new thing that people are doing. And, and don't mock, don't judge. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't do it. But you can know for yourself there's something else. There's the real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Just lift up your hands and give thanks to God. Lord, we praise you. We bless you. We give you glory. We give you thanks. We honor you, our great God. Go ahead and stand up on your feet. Lord, we honor you. We give you glory. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lord, we worship you. We give you glory. He said, I will that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands. So do what, do what the scripture said. Do what the Bible said. Lift up your hands. Don't be ashamed. Hallelujah. And now lift up your voice. And say, I praise you, O God. I Reach down inside and show him the greatest respect. Show him the greatest honor. More than you show any, any man or woman in the world. I show, I honor you, O God. I worship you. Oh God, I don't worship men. I worship you. I worship you. You have the ultimate place in my life, O oh God. I worship you. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.